the rest of us are going to be in here continuing on in our Forgiven Forgiver series that we've been in for three or four weeks now. And I want to say, I appreciate the feedback that I've gotten from a lot of you guys on this series. Uh, I grew up in church, and so I know that a sermon is a very easy thing to ignore. It's a very easy thing to forget. So when I'm up here going like, you ought to forgive, you can go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to lunch. I know that that's, that's an option. That's always on the table. But a lot of the feedback I've been getting from you guys is that this message has been challenging you. It has hit your daily life. It has reached some of the relationships where you're going, hey, maybe I do need to forgive. You guys have told me stories about relationships with siblings that have been challenged by this message. Uh, somebody told me about a close friend that, that, that wronged them or harmed the relationship and then moved away and then moved back into town and wanted to pick things up like nothing had ever happened. And going like, man, that's a, that's a difficult situation to find yourself in. I've heard about ex-boyfriends and, and trouble with spouses and, and things like that. And last week, I challenged you to go to somebody who's close to you and say, who do I need to forgive? From your perspective, you know me well, who do I need to forgive in my life? Because it may be a blind spot for us. We may not come up with that person, but the one who knows you best will tell you. And some of you guys actually did that. And you got answers that maybe were surprising to you. So I appreciate that. I want to say I'm glad that you guys are taking this seriously. That's the point of what we're doing this January and February. It's just taking a simple, easy-to-understand teaching of Jesus and saying, what happens if we actually do it? How can this transform our lives as Christians? So thank you for doing that. Uh, this is a challenging series, and this is a challenging topic for a couple different reasons. Reasons I'm realizing as I'm, I'm crafting these messages, as I'm hearing your stories, as I'm praying and, and reading through Scripture. Um, one reason is that sometimes I get up here and I preach about something that you don't put a lot of thought into. If I'm like, let's all learn about lamentations. You go, okay, okay, whatever. And I say, here's what you should think about lamentations. You go, okay, fine, because I don't think about lamentations most days of the week. Forgiveness is not like that. You guys already have experience with forgiveness. You already have thoughts about what you're going to do when it comes to forgiveness, what you're not going to do. So this has been a challenging message uh, for all of us because it is something that we interact with. It is something that we have thoughts and opinions on. Uh, and there's another reason that it's been challenging for me in leading this is because there's a lot of pushback about forgiveness. When you have a conversation about forgiveness and you hear Jesus saying, forgive 70 times 7, someone's wronged you 7 multiple times, keep doing it, keep forgiving them, even if it's intentional, even if it hurt you, forgive, forgive, forgive. A lot of the times people want to say, yeah, but where's the limit? And maybe that was behind the Peter's question when he was having that conversation with Jesus. Seven times? I mean, at some point, isn't it responsible to not forgive? And in my research for this series, I've come across articles that have titles like toxic forgiveness or six reasons you should not be quick to forgive. And, a lot, and this is an important conversation because there are situations in our lives where forgiving doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean continuing in a relationship with someone. A lot of the examples given have to do with abuse, someone who's being harmed by someone else. And the, the church, sadly, does have a history of saying, like, I don't care if your husband's beating you, you need to forgive him. That's not okay. That's not okay. It's not about sweeping something under the rug. It's not about saying that something that's wrong is not wrong. Uh, it's about healing, like we've been talking about. It's good for you. It's good for relationships. And a lot of the examples that come to mind where people want to make exceptions and say, yeah, but in this case, shouldn't I not forgive? Those tend to be extreme examples. Those tend to be the exceptions rather than the rule. 
So another reason that this has been challenging is because sometimes we as Christians, we want to hear Jesus, we want to be faithful, but we want to find the exceptions. And we want to see how they apply to our lives. But sometimes that's just for our comfort. And I want to push back against that and say, let's focus on the rule and not necessarily the exceptions. Absolutely, if there's a power imbalance and someone is harming someone else, steps need to be taken to make sure that that does not happen. That's not what we're talking about for the majority of this series. We're talking about you guys and the people that you interact with, the hurts that we hold on to, the unforgiveness that we somehow justify. That's what we're pushing back against and hearing Jesus say, forgiveness is the way uh, of my people. So it's been a challenging series. And like I said, I appreciate you guys. So I want to invite you to continue on this conversation this morning as we look at what it means to be a forgiven forgiver. Uh, let, me, let me go to God in prayer, and then we'll talk about something different. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the lives that you give us that are often more complicated than a sermon can point to. I thank you for the way that your message hits us at different times and in different places. This is a room full of people who are all different, who have had different experiences, who are hearing this message in different ways. And Lord, um, I pray that it rings true for all of us. I pray that the forgiveness that needs to happen in our lives will happen. If there's changes in our lives that need to be changed, I pray that that will come from you, that we'll partner with you in, in making efforts to be forgiven forgivers. I pray that we can find forgiveness in our hearts, and I pray that we know that that comes from you and the forgiveness that you've given us. As we focus on that this morning, I pray that we hear how big of a heart that you have, how great is your love for each and every one of us, and the great lengths that you would go to, that you have gone to, to rescue us, to save us, to draw us back into a relationship with you. Let us be inspired by that and want to live that out ourselves. I pray for this congregation, for anyone who has ears to hear. I pray that your word is proclaimed today through me, um, if it's your will. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk a little bit today about reputation, and uh, you may be thinking about what your reputation is as we consider the reputation of some others and the reputation that God has himself. But I want to start by the reputation of this particular group of people called the Amish. Nod your head if you've heard of the Amish people before. If you're familiar with their lifestyle, they have a reputation for being uh, people who farm the land, who live simple lives. They dress a little bit differently than most people in modern times. You might look at this picture and go, oh, wow, that's a color photograph from 1812. It's not. The, the, this, these are modern photographs taken by a group of people that just choose to live a little bit differently. When Lisa and I lived in New Jersey, it was only a couple hour drive away from Lancaster County, PA. And so when a relative would come to visit us from the West Coast, we'd say, oh, you know what we should do? You know, it's a fun day trip. Let's drive out to Amish country and look at the Amish people <laughs> because, because they're different. Because they, they have this different lifestyle. It's kind of like, you know, going to, to Disneyland. It's a little bit different than normal life there. Uh, so we would go out there, and you'd see them riding around in their horse and buggies. You'd see the hats and the bonnets. And you couldn't go to Amish country without stopping and getting the best hot pretzel of your life. They make the most delicious hot pretzels, and they bake pies. And you can buy stuff and take it home and go, wow, that was an interesting experience. Well, the Amish have a reputation of being kind of behind the times. A lot of people think that Amish people just are, are against anything that's modern. They're anti-technology, but that's not really 
the truth. The truth is that Amish people are a Christian group that have Dutch roots, and they're very discerning about what kinds of influences they let into their community. So they choose intentionally to live with an emphasis on faith, on community, on family, and on living simply. And as followers of Jesus, forgiveness is something that the Amish people value and practice. Uh, so on, in October of 2006, there was a tragedy that happened in one of the Amish communities in Pennsylvania. There was a very disturbed man who entered one of the Amish schoolhouses, and he shot 10 girls, all under the age of 13, and five of them died, and then he turned the gun on himself. And almost as shocking as the details of what happened on that day was the response from the Amish community. This became a national news stories, and reporters descended on Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, where the incident happened, and they said, what's your response to this? And they were shocked to find out that the members of this Amish community forgave the gunman. Genuinely, they had forgiveness in their hearts toward what he did, toward what happened. They didn't just say they forgave him, they demonstrated forgiveness. They attended his funeral. People from the community reached out to the man's widow and his children that he left behind. And they said, wow, like, they don't have a source of income now. This tragedy has affected their lives just as much as it has ours. Let's help them. Let's build a relationship with them. The, the nation caught wind of this story. They started sending money to this community. And they actually changed the name of the fund from the Amish Nickel Mines Fund to the Nickel Mines Community Fund because they said, this isn't just for the Amish people. This has affected our whole town. And they funneled a lot of that money toward the gunman's widow and his children. They actually practiced forgiveness. And reporters who were covering this story were kind of baffled by this. And they were asking questions like, uh, did you guys all get together and decide that this is what you were going to say? Like, why is everybody being so forgiving? Is there some leader of the Amish that said, this is what we're going to say, this is going to be our position in this situation? And the Amish people actually thought that that was laughable. Like, that's not what we do. That's not how we make decisions. One man that they interviewed said this, why is everybody all surprised? It's just standard Christian forgiveness. It's what everybody should be doing. They weren't just doing it to uphold the reputation that they have in society of being Christians or being peaceful, nonviolent people. It's not like they were all wringing their hands and going, okay, well, the whole world is watching. Like, what are we going to do? Are we going to actually forgive? I mean, the stakes are pretty high this time. Are we going to practice what we preach at a time like this? They didn't have to have that meeting. They didn't have to have that conversation. Forgiveness came naturally for them. It was a part of their culture, and it had become part of their nature. Sometimes we think of forgiveness as something that some people are wired for better than others. This person is more forgiving in their nature. This person is more likely to hold a grudge. But it's actually something that you can cultivate in your life. And if it comes naturally to you, you're going to practice it. But also, if you practice it, it's going to come naturally to you. This is something I think is true, that we often overlook. I'm not a forgiver. It's harder for me. I'm not as kind. I'm not as forgiving as this person but you can be. It's something you can cultivate. And so Amish people have this reputation for being forgivers, but so does God. God has a reputation of being forgiven, and you could even say that forgiveness is in God's nature. And I want to stop at this verse this morning that I put up on the screen here. You see this in the description that God gives himself to Moses. There's this uh, 
seen in Exodus chapter 34, after the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea, Moses goes up on the mountain and meets with God, uh, has this conversation, and uh, God describes himself using these words, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and, what's the next word? Forgiving. Maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And then it goes on to say, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. This is sometimes called the God Creed. Because in this statement is essentially everything we need to know about who God is, what he's about. It's all right here. The interesting thing about this statement, this way that God describes himself, is when it takes place. This was given to Moses right after the golden calf incident. God rescued his people from slavery. He's, he's there. He's, he's present with his people. Moses goes up on the mountain. The people go, we don't know where Moses went. We don't even know if God's still here. So here's what we're going to do. Let's make an idol and let's worship it. And let's say this idol is what brought us out of slavery. This is going to be our new God. They completely betrayed God. They didn't give him credit for his faithfulness, for his rescue of them as slaves in Egypt. Moses is up on the mountain. God comes back down, or he comes back down, and he finds the people worshiping idols, doing all sorts of things, displeasing to God. And so it was declared at a time when God would have every right, you would think, to withhold forgiveness and turn his back on these ungrateful people. A time when we should be as surprised by God's forgiveness as the world was with that of the Amish community. But even as the relationship is broken, this is what God says. This is who I am. Maintaining love to thousands. Forgiving wickedness. Because it's in my nature. Now notice it's not ignoring evil or disregarding justice. There are consequences for sins. This is true. But while the third and fourth generation may still feel the sting of these consequences, what we find out here is that the Lord maintains his love, his steadfast love through thousands of generations. This description that God gives to Moses is something that the Israelite people held on to for generations. They believe this to be true. They experience this time and time again. And this description of God is referenced throughout the Hebrew Bible. It shows up again and again and again. It's in the Psalms, slow to anger, abounding in love, compassionate and gracious, the, the God of compassion, again and again and again. This was God's nature, and this was good news for Israel because forgiveness is a huge part of Israel's story. It's a huge part of their history with Yahweh. I want you to listen to a summary of God's interaction with his people from the time of uh, rescuing them from slavery uh, up and through the time of the kings. This comes from Nehemiah chapter 9. I'm going to read this uh, extended passage for you this morning, and I want you to listen. This is kind of like the priests getting together when they rediscovered the law. This is after the time of the exile. They're getting together. They've rebuilt the temple, the altar. They've rebuilt the wall, and they said, okay, let's talk about this God that we've forgotten about, that we need to get reacquainted with. So they stand up, and they tell the story. And I want you to hear this story. It's several verses long. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. In fact, I'm going to put up the God Creed up here on the screen so that you can reference it. But what I want you to do as I read this description of God's history with his people is if you hear God doing something faithful, I want you to give a thumbs up. What does a thumbs up look like? Show me that your thumbs up 
work this morning. Okay, good. They're on. They're fired up. If you hear something about Israel being unfaithful in response to God's faithfulness, I want you to give me a thumbs down. Show me what that looks like. Good. Okay. So tune in, pay attention, and listen for examples of God's faithfulness, Israel's unfaithfulness. They say, you came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and commands that are good. You made, them, you made known to them your holy Sabbath, and you gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. In their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land that you had sworn with uplifted hand that you were going to give them. Sounds pretty good, right? Let me see your thumbs ups. God is faithful. Sounds good. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen, and they failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. The story continues. Because of your great compassion, sounds good, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, a pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way that they were to take. You gave them your spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirsts. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. And then he fast forward through, uh, well, he says, you gave them kingdoms and nations allotting to them even the remotest of frontiers. And I'm going to fast forward through some of these conquests and the, the, the lands that God gave to the people. Uh, they ate to the full and they were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. Verse 26. But they were disobedient. And they rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who'd warned them in order to turn, uh, to turn them back to you. And they committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. When they were oppressed, they cried out to you from heaven. You heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Man, then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. When they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law. But they became arrogant and they disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances of which you said the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets, and yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of neighboring people. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Okay, you can put your thumbs down. Shake out your wrist. That's That's kind of a lot to ask, Jacob. Do you remember that movie Gladiator from back in the day? Maximus is in the Colosseum. The emperor's there. He fights an animal or he kills a, 
uh, a warrior. The emperor stands up and everybody looks at the emperor. And the emperor does one of two things, right? Gives a thumbs up or a thumbs down. What happens if the emperor gives you a thumbs down? You're dead. That's it. The emperor's in charge. I don't like what I saw. Not good enough. This is the final word. Death. This is what happens in the Roman Colosseum. You've messed up. You're out of chances. But what does it mean with the Lord? What happens in our, the story that we just read, that we interacted with? What happened when our thumbs went down? They went back up. God was compassionate. God was gracious. God was merciful. God was forgiving. This is a great example of God's consistency and faithfulness, the fact that being merciful and forgiving is in God's nature. Yes, punishment for consequences, we saw that in the story too. But God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is the forgiven part of forgiven forgiver. This is us being able to say, we have been forgiven because God is forgiving, because God loves his children. This was during the time of, of Ezra and Nehemiah and rebuilding after the exile. But fast forward several generations and get to the time of Christ. Were the people any less stiff-necked and arrogant and in need of a Savior? They were right back where they were. But what does God do? He sends Jesus into the world. And he does what Dave described earlier. He gets on the cross. He takes on our sins. And he says, you can be forgiven because I love you. Jesus lays down his life. So when you tell the story of God, we need to realize that forgiveness is all over it. And it always has been. The time of the Israelites, the time of the exile, to the time of the church, the early church, and then the ministry of Jesus, to the time of now. This is part of the story of who God is. This is God's reputation for being forgiving. So how about us? What's our reputation? Do we have a reputation of making things right, of being patient, being compassionate? Are we known for the same kind of compassion that God has? Are we gracious? Are we slow to anger? Are we forgiving? As you hear the God creed, and you hear it quoted throughout the Hebrew Bible, and as we're talking about it, you hear these, these characteristics, it kind of reminds you of the, the fruit of the Spirit that you hear in Galatians, right? You know the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of school spirit. It's not the fruit of the spirit of Christmas, it's the fruit of God's spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And the fruit are love, joy, peace. All those things, right? We as Christians, we say we should strive to be those things. Like, I want that fruit to be reflected in my life. I say the God creed is the same. We want to have that spirit dwelling in us to influence our, our actions, our moves, our, our attitudes, the way we treat people. Just as true of being slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, forgiving. But like the reporters who descended on the Amish community, we may find forgiveness hard to believe. Surely, forgiveness, yeah, but like not that kind of forgiveness. We sometimes are hard on ourselves because we know what we've done. 
There's stuff that you've never told anybody, that you don't want anybody to find out about. And maybe you wonder, can God even forgive this? Is that forgiveness big enough? Is it great enough? Is it strong enough? Sometimes that keeps us from being forgivers because we don't realize how much we've been forgiven. We find that hard to believe. My grandpa struggled with this the last few weeks of his life. Um, he was sick, and my grandma had passed away a few months earlier, and everybody kind of, they kind of knew that uh, he wasn't going to be around much longer. My grandpa was a cool guy. He um, had a lot of stuff in his life that he's not proud of, um, but he became a follower of Christ, and he was baptized when he was 72 years old. He died when he was 86 or something like that. Um, so after he became a Christian, he was involved in the church, and he was going to Bible studies, and he was just like, living it, leaning into it, saying, yes, 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 this is the path I want to walk. But he knew about his history, and he knew about those previous 72 years, and he, he knew that he'd done a lot of stuff he wasn't proud of. So when he was sick, and after my grandma died, we were all there for the funeral, and um, he kind of pulled me and Lisa aside, and he was like, you know, I, I know my time is coming, and I'm a little bit scared about meeting God face to face. I don't know what he's going to say. Now, I know what the Bible says, and I, I know what we preach in church, but like I'm, I'm, I'm right there, and I don't know what to expect. So I talked with him. I said a few things, and I tried to make him feel better, and I could see on his face that he, was, he didn't feel any better. <laughs> he was just like, yeah, okay, I don't know. And then Lisa went and talked to him for like five minutes, and he, you could tell he was at peace. He was like, okay, I feel fine. I'm excited to meet my creator. I'm looking forward to it, even. Do you wonder what Lisa said to him? I debated whether or not I was going to share with you what she said. Because in a way, you already know what she said. And if you were in that situation, you probably could have said the same thing. This is what Lisa said to my grandpa. Part of what he was hung up on was the imbalance of his life. Uh, 14 years as a Christian, 72 years, rebellious. He's like, that doesn't work out. Like, I'm worried that God's going to get me on the scale and it's not going to be enough. The good things that I've done haven't outweighed the bad things that I've done. And Lisa reminded him, that's not what it's about. You can't make up for the bad things that you've done. No amount of good things that we can do can make us right in the eyes of God. But that's not the point. Jesus makes us right in the eyes of God. Jesus takes on our sins. Jesus gave his life. It's about Jesus. My grandpa knew that. He was reminded of that. He's like, yeah, that's true. You believe that. Jesus has the power to save you. That God, because he is forgiving in his nature, made it possible for you to be forgiven. Hold on to that. That's what's going to make your meeting with God face-to-face a really, really good day. And he felt better. He passed away a few weeks later. And I'm not, <laughs> I don't have any doubts about where he is now, and what he's doing, and the experience that he's having with the God who is slow to anger, bounding in love and faithfulness. He is communing with the great forgiver. I think part of our job as forgiven forgivers is to let people know how much God's forgiveness is in his story. 
And not just in the, the Bible story or Israel's story. In our story, we have been forgiven. That's part of our story as a church. That's part of your story as a follower of Jesus. And people will come to know it when we demonstrate it for them, when we show it, when we practice it. Whether or not it comes naturally for you, but the more you practice it, the more it becomes part of your nature. And if it's in your nature, you're going to practice it. Let's pray together again. Lord, thank you so much for your forgiveness. Thank you for this example of how deep it goes, how wonderful it is. Thank you for the hope and the confidence that we get knowing that you're not trying to trap us. You're not expecting more from us, but that you see your children when you look at us and you love your children. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for conquering death. Thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. Thank you that Joseph Spinka is a new creation today because he said Jesus is what I want to hold on to. Help us to have that trust. Help us to have that faith. Help us to have that confidence to know where we're going, to know how we can love others and do the work of your kingdom. Help us to restore relationships. Help us to never forget the value of the relationship that we have with you, our great forgiver. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, that's pretty much all I got this morning. Uh, I want to end, though, by sharing a video with you guys. I was told uh, our, our congregation supports missionaries in, near Brisbane, Australia, Brad and Rania and Orion Johnson. And I shared with Brad the fact that we were doing this series. I said, hey, we're, we're focusing on forgiveness. Like, do you have a forgiveness story that you can share with our congregation? And I kind of just left it open. Like, whatever you want to do, I'd love to have you tell a story of forgiveness to share with our congregation. Uh, and he sent me a video uh, about a story of somebody that he has interacted with, somebody that he knows, uh, a person that his church had the opportunity to minister to. So uh, to end this morning, I'm going to show you this about a three-minute video that Brad Johnson sent us. Uh, he's got a cool Australian accent, so you get to enjoy that as he tells this story. Um, but then after this video is over, we're going to stand and sing one more song as we end our worship this morning. So I guess I'm starting the video. Ready? Here we go. There once lived a man who was making his way through life with great energy. He grew up in a home that was a bit rough, but in spite of the difficulties, he grew up and came to hold down a good job. He got married and had children of his own. Things were going well. The man then entered a difficult period in his life in which he was constantly confused and overwhelmed. He could not think straight. His life was ruled by conflicting emotions. He started making a lot of bad choices. Because of his troubled state of mind, many of his family relationships came to an end and he lost everything that he owned. He began living on the streets. He was unhappy, he was tired all the time and he was just surviving one day at a time. After some years, he bumped into some of God's people. They spent time with him sharing in food, conversation and the joy that they had found at being part of Jesus' kingdom. Over time, he learned to trust these people and to be comfortable in their company. 
The Christians told the man that, the, that God had plans for him and was calling to him. He had trouble believing that he could be forgiven for the things that he'd done because he felt like his life was a complete failure. Over time, the man saw that the Christians did not hold anything against him. So he began to believe that maybe God didn't hold anything against him either. As he read God's word with his new friends, he encountered many stories of men and women who had done some horrendous things, but were forgiven by God and that were then loved and blessed by him. The man thought to himself, I can be forgiven too. Not long after that, he committed his life to Jesus and was baptized in a nearby public swimming pool with a bunch of Japanese tourists looking on in interest. The man entered a new stage in his life. He grew to understand that forgiveness that was available from God enabled him to leave guilt behind and live in freedom. He found a purpose, not just in church on Sundays, but for his whole life. He now believed that it was his job to help everyone he met in some way and to share the good news of the forgiveness that he had found. Some things remained difficult for the man, but now he had the means to face all the difficulties in life. The man passed away a couple of years later, which was very sad for his friends, but at his memorial service, everyone celebrated the peace that he had found and the love that he had shown to everyone around him. Even his family members were positively affected by the changes they'd seen in his life. The man's life had shown the world many good things. Chief among them was the power of forgiveness.